And now, welcome to the Just the West podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and uh, I was meaning to do a bit of a recap for week five, but it's been a busy week for myself personally. Uh, and yeah, it was a bit of a lackluster experience for me. Um, some of you guys might know, but uh, while I do cover the NFC West, uh, my heart and roots do lie in San Francisco with the Niners, or you might say the Santa Clara 49ers or wh- whatever. But um, let's go ahead and get into some week five ordeal and talk about the games at hand for week six. Um, so yeah, um, going back to those Niners, they had a home game playing against the Cardinals, who were winless at the time. And uh, it was probably the most disheartening game as a Niners fan that I've witnessed. And if I may reiterate that, uh, there's been a lot of really, really, really bad Niners football the last couple years. But what made this uh, game in particular so disheartening was well the Cardinals won 28 to 14 got their first win um, but they did it in really weird fashion actually uh, the Niners schematically I mean if you look at the numbers they had 33 first downs they had 400 yards of offense their time of possession was way more than the Cardinals um But the key stats for this game, which makes it so disheartening, was uh, the turnover battle. The Niners had five turnovers. The Cardinals had zero. Beathard had, yeah, he had two, two, three turnovers. Interception, fumble. Uh, Yeah, um, they lost the turnover battle. And while all the other stats outside of the turnovers was heavily in the Niners' favor, uh, they couldn't couldn't execute straight up. And this is kind of the makings of a really really bad team. I mean, uh, if you look at the power rankings right now for ESPN, Bleacher Report, or whoever, uh, the Niners are dead last in the NFL. Cardinals not too far behind them. Um, But yeah, I mean, Cardinals, they got their first win of the season. Josh Rosen, he didn't play particularly well, uh, but the Niners had their first touchdown to start off with Matt Breida. Josh Rosen responds with a 75-yard bomb catch and run to rookie wide receiver Christian Kirk. Um, That was really bad. Uh, That really set the tone for what was going to be an ugly afternoon for the Niners. Adrian Colbert, I don't know what the hell he was doing, but... He didn't provide any coverage on the back end and, yeah, snapped the secondary for a 75-yard score. Matt Breida would later on, while he did start the game off strong, he would uh, injure his ankle, leave the game. And after that, he was, I mean, he was averaging like seven, eight yards a carry. He had like eight carries for 56 yards uh, in the first half. He left the game. Alfred Morris picked up the pace, but you could tell that this offense was was really stalling. They had a bunch of screen passes, safer throws, but um, this offense was just going back and forth. Um, it's not like the Cardinals were that much better, but it goes back to uh, to the basics. Execution. Uh, a couple fumbles, turnovers. Uh, Chandler Jones for the 
for the Cardinals. He was really the difference for this game. He, uh, yeah, he forced a fumble. Uh, he got a touchdown. Uh, Two-point conversion for the Niners. They, uh, they had the pass swatted by Chandler Jones. And it really comes home to really show you how impactful an edge rusher like Chandler Jones, uh, that all-pro caliber type of player, can really have on a team. Yeah, I have nothing really good to say about this game, but uh, for the Cardinal fans, I mean, yeah, great victory for them. It's worth noting that uh, their head coach uh, for the Cardinals, Steve Wilkes, was hugging his assistants, his players on the sidelines because, yeah, I mean, despite how bad they played of a game, they came out ahead and they still got 28 points. It was a game, I mean, for them to celebrate so much, it's because they weren't supposed to win this game. They didn't really play to win this game. But neither did the Niners. Neither did the Niners. Conversely, uh, the other NFC West game, much more entertaining from a football perspective. Red Zone Channel, I saw them quite often. It was a high-scoring game. The Rams came out ahead 33-31. to Rams head coach Sean McVay. Big balls, Sean McVay. Uh, it was going back and forth. Uh, I'll give the Seahawks a lot of credit. I said in my previous podcast, I didn't really think that they'd be able to put that many points and go head-to-head with the high-flying Rams offense. But lo and behold, uh, they had the upper hand for the majority of the game, going touchdown for touchdown. They were up seven points, whatever. Um, but eventually, uh, the Rams took a lead, a slight lead, 33-31. to And with about three, I think they got the ball right around three minutes, 3.30 or so. Uh, They moved the chains. And right around the one-minute mark, one minute, one minute 15, they got it down to fourth and inches. Um, They were prepared to punt. So they were prepared to give the ball back to Seattle. And Pete Carroll calls a timeout. Um, A lot of people are criticizing Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll for the timeout. Um, we called the timeout, I believe, for um, game time purposes to, to save it so they can get more time when they receive the punt. Uh, but the biggest surprise is, uh, and maybe they were going to do this all along anyways, uh, but they had the punt units, the special teams ready, those Rams. But then upon the timeout, they said, you know, you know what? Let's go back to the offense, fourth and inches, and I'm not gonna say he's, I'm not gonna say he's Tom Brady, but in very Tom Brady fashion, quarterback sneak with Jared Goff, more than covers the inches, gets the first down, crowd stunned, the whole sidelines for the Rams, ecstatic, big ball Sean McVay, he got that first down, and they just down. The time came away with the victory. Uh, very, very entertaining game. Might I add, going back into this offensive-minded game, Russell Wilson played very, very well. This was uh, it might be a breakout game for Russell Wilson because, yeah, he was excellent in play action and. To that point, uh, he was so successful in play action because the run game for the Seahawks has returned. It was 
it was really uh, refreshing to see, actually. Last week, Mike Davis had around 100 yards rushing. This week, Chris Carson comes back with about 100 yards rushing. Uh, they combined for, yeah, uh, right around like 150 yards rushing as a team. Um, really set the tone against the Rams. And it, m- it might be two things. Either the Rams' defense isn't that great, um, especially against the run. And I know they've always been kind of that way, but it might be the Rams' run defense. It might be the Seahawks' offensive line really coming together with their new offensive line coach, uh, Mike Solari. But nonetheless, they set the tone early. They controlled the ball, got play action. There's a beautiful 30-something yard pass to Tyler Lequette. Uh He's been huge uh, all, all season, by the way. Big play receiver for Russell Wilson. Tyler, Tyler Lequette, I mean, yeah, pleasant surprise. Doug Baldwin was in this game, but he didn't get that many targets. Uh, but yeah, with a strong run, run game, a couple of really... Timely passes. Uh, David Moore, he had two touchdown catches. Uh, it was good. It was good early on for the Seahawks. Uh, but then the Rams, uh, I'll give them a lot of credit as well. Todd Gurley, three rushing touchdowns, all right on the goal line. They didn't really, yeah, they didn't get cute with it. They just put their best player on, ran the ball, did very well with that. Uh, Cooper Cup, he did very well. He had like seven catches for 100 yards and a touchdown or so. But the biggest surprise for me, and this really shows how good of a team this Rams team is, right before halftime, Brandon Cooks, their speedy receiver, gets hit very hard, head-to-head, helmet-to-helmet type of hit, and he goes out for the game. Later on, Cooper Cup, I believe, um, man, I forget what the play was exactly, he fell, he got hit, he fell kind of weird on his head, but he left the game as well. And so they're, you know, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, two out of their three top receiver options leave the game. They don't return with concussion symptoms. And they use Josh Reynolds, they plug and play him. Uh, for whatever reason, Robert Woods remained wide open all throughout this game. I was complaining, or a lot of people were complaining about. The Rams having wide-open guys matching against linebackers last week against the Vikings with Anthony Barr and whatnot, but it, it was kind of worse this game with Seattle because they didn't really have they didn't even have anyone covering these receivers. Uh, they went into the cover three zone scheme, and yeah, the Rams picked them apart. I mean, it was uh, yeah, thirty-three points, obviously, but. Um, Went up and down the field. Once they got to the goal line, they ran the ball to Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley didn't run particularly well. He, I think he had like a paltry, I mean, considering for Todd Gurley, he had uh, 3.5 yards per carry, 22 carries for 77 yards, but three of them were for touchdowns. Um, all in all, uh, not the best game for him, but this Rams offense, Jared Goff, 321 yards, one touchdown, two picks, by the way. Two interceptions, one in the red zone, which was quite costly. But Seattle went head for head. Russell Wilson, um, not that much. 198 passing yards, but he had three touchdowns. Three touchdowns, no picks. And that's how they really um, went head to head with this team. And so for 
for a team that was struggling all season offensively to put up points. Finally, at home, they set a strong run game, set the tone, got play action, and matched the Rams. And so this might be might be some promise of things to come. I'm not too sure, but it's worth noting. A bit of a moral victory for, for Seattle. I mean, Seattle, they were seven and a half point underdogs at home. Not bad. Not bad, Seattle. So let's go ahead and recap where we are in the NFC West. You have the Rams undefeated, 5-0. and The only other team that's undefeated is in the AFC. Not the NFC West, but the AFC West. Chiefs, 5-0. and Seattle is 2-3, and three, their second place. And technically, even though they were winless going into this game, because they beat the Niners, they take third place with one win, four losses with a 1-4 and four record. And the Niners drop to dead last at 1-4. Yeah, man, that's where we are within the division. So let's go ahead and talk about Week 6. Quarter of the season is already done. Let's go into week six, baby. Let's go. Let's go. All right, so it's going to be it's gonna be a bitch doing the blog post, but whatever, man. We have four NFC West games this upcoming week for week six. Two of them being in the morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, a one o'clock game. And then we... Oh, oh, great. And then we have a Monday night football game, but... Uh, eesh. Okay, I'll go one by one, and you'll get what I'm saying when I say eesh. So, the first 10 a.m. game, Pacific Standard Time. The Seahawks go on the road. They go at Oakland. My hometown. Well, not my hometown. My hometown's Alameda, but not too far away. Uh, I used to live in Alameda, and uh, the Raiders practice facility is in uh, Alameda. So, Seattle plays at Oakland. Uh, Seattle is favored by two and a half points over under 48. And yeah, I can understand why they're favored on the road. Oakland being two and a half point home dogs. It might, I mean, they just lost a really killer game uh, on the road against the Chargers. And so it might, if I were to think about it, maybe it might go to three, three and a half, just because you're seeing a lot more uh, juice coming out of Seattle. Uh, Their offense I mean, it was at Seattle, but they played a lot better last week against the Rams. And yeah, the the Raiders kind of uh, laid an egg against the Chargers. And so they're kind of distraught. But having said that, they're always tough at home. Uh, So they make this to be, um, you know, a closer game, giving Seattle the slight edge. But given the momentum of where they're going, and I haven't been too impressed with this defense from Oakland uh, if Seattle continues to run the ball just like they, they had the last couple weeks, um, I think they can do very well on the road against Oakland. Let's go back to that formula. Run the ball very well with Chris Carson, Mike Davis. Uh, Tyler Lickett's going to be your, your play-action go-to receiver. And then i like to see Doug Baldwin get more. Uh, I know he's coming off an MCL injury, but I'd like to see him get more involved in the slot um, down the seams. Um on in some slants, but go ahead and give me Seattle 24. Give me the Raiders 20. I don't think it's going to be a 30 point game like last week against the Rams. I don't think that Seattle is really built to uh, 
have a shootout type of game, but they were kind of forced to against the Rams. I think that they're going to run the board a lot more, uh, get themselves in manageable situations. Uh, but at the end of the day, they'll break through. So give me the Seahawks 24 to 20. I think it's just it's going to be better quarterback play that's going to get it done. Better quarterback play in the red zone. Not too sure what's going on with the Raiders, especially with Derek Carr. But until until things get a little bit more optimistic, I just can't uh, give the Raiders the home win. I just can't. Um, I, I think that they have a couple things that they're trying to figure out. So, second 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time game. Ooh, this is a tough one. So the Cardinals are coming off their first win of the season, so that's all hunky-dory. But they have a really tough, tough road game against the Vikings. Minnesota Vikings at Minneapolis. Guess what? The Vikings are 11.5-point favorites. Double-digit favorites, which is very rare, per se, in the NFL. But I think it does merit it considering how bad, quote-unquote, bad the Cardinals played offensively. Even though they came out with the win, they didn't really uh, didn't really impress anyone per se. Yeah, man. Um, Vikings, they have... They're coming off a very... a big statement game, beating the Eagles last week. They're starting to get their stride. Kirk Cousins is playing absolutely phenomenal. Adam Thielen, he's, I don't know when's the last time per se, but Adam Thielen, the receiver, uh, he has five straight 100-yard receiving games. And yeah, that should be an interesting matchup if Patrick Peterson does match up with him. What does worry me in particular about this game is the Vikings pass rush. Daniel Hunter... He's been awesome for them. He had a very big game against the Eagles last week. So, yeah, I think that he's going to be a problem. Their secondary, even though it's not, hasn't been playing that well lately. Still a strong secondary, at least against these Cardinals receivers. Because outside of Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, I haven't really seen much out of him. Chad Brown, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they haven't really gotten too much oomph in the passing game. And so it's going to be a big challenge for Josh Rosen. This is probably going to be his toughest game by far. Bears, I mean, they were tough, but they were at home. Niners defense, I mean, they're the Niners right now. And I say that in a bad way. So, yeah, Vikings at home. So they're going to be on the road against a really stellar front seven. And might I add, uh, even though... The Cardinals do have some good edge rushers in Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. Their run defense is like second to last. They haven't been that great. They've allowed like 120, 130 yard rushing yards per game. And Dalvin Cook comes back. He's been dealing with uh, a hamstring injury the last couple weeks, but he's been cleared. He practiced this past Thursday, um, so he should be good to go. And if he's good to go, I mean, it's going to make that offense uh, a lot more balanced. Uh, watch out for play action, kind of similar to the Seahawks, but watch out for play action when they use Dalvin Cook. Uh, Dalvin Cook is also very good as a receiver in the passing game as well. And so if you have Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and I haven't even mentioned Stefan Diggs, who's been awesome for, for the Vikings as well. 
it's going to be a really tough game for the Cardinals. I think, um, I mean, if they can force turnovers like they did last week against the Niners, they might have a chance. But uh, Kirk Cousins is not C.J. Beathard. He will not. uh, It's going to be tougher, uh, tougher to get the ball back. So, hmm. 11 half points, 11 half points. I am going to go ahead and go with the Vikings uh, triumphantly. Usually I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to give so many points on the board, but hmm, you know what? It just makes sense. Uh, All the factors that I put in make sense to go ahead and lay the points. Fine. Cardinals 10, Vikings 27. Yeesh. Cardinals 10, Vikings 27. So, yeah, a triumphant win for Vikings at Minnesota. And they they started the season not so hot. They were like 1-1-2. But, yeah, they're coming back together. They're starting to play like the team that they're supposed to play, uh, one of the top teams in the NFC Conference. Moving along to the 1 o'clock game on Sunday, 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Well, 1, 2, 3. All the NFC West teams are going on the road, by the way. I just noticed that. So the Rams, they go on the road to Mile High, Denver Broncos, and a very similar spread. Rams are on the road again, and once again, they're seven and a half point favorites. Last week, they were seven and a half point favorites against Seattle, a very tough environment to play in. And lo and behold, they're seven and a half point favorites at Mile High in Denver, which is also a very hostile environment. Uh, Rams seven and a half over under fifty two. Yeah, man, I'd like to say uh, first and foremost, from what I've been hearing on the reports, it looks like Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup should be slated to play Sunday. I know that uh, they've been practicing, they've been going through their progressions. They should be able to get cleared from the concussion protocol. So by theory, they'll have all three or their wides. You're going to have Woods, Cooks, and Cup back in action, which is great. At first, I'd, I'd be like, you know, I'm kind of worried about Von Miller, Brandon Chubbs, and that pass rush that the Broncos have. Uh, they, they've been pretty good all season long. But did you know, per Pro Football Focus, that the Rams are the number one rated offensive line? How good is this group? They are like... The first offensive line in like forever through five weeks, all of their starters, they're all of their offensive linemen, they have not allowed a single sack. Um, there's been other factors that might have led to sacks for Jared Goff, but it's been the strangest stat. The offensive line has technically not allowed a sack individually. So it might have been, you know, I, I say that because maybe, you know, like a running back might have messed up on his blocking assignment that might have led to a sack, a receiver, or whatever. But the offensive line has not allowed the sack to Jerry Goff. Jerry Goff has had a very clean pocket. And, yeah, I mean, no kidding. They're averaging like 30-plus points, 400 yards of total offense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But, jeez, uh, Jesus. So, um, it's going to be tougher at Denver, but they did the damn thing at Seattle. They hung up 33 points at Seattle. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why not in terms of 
30 points. Uh, technically, last week, the 33 might have been their lowest of the season. Don't quote me on that, but I felt like uh, the last couple games prior, they were 35-ish or so. Uh, but what makes me believe that the Rams can cover that 7.5 points is for Denver, while they are, I mean, they, they show flashes. You have, I think, at this point, I would consider their receiver Emmanuel Sanders their best player. You see some, I mean, Demarius Thomas is a good red zone threat. You see spurts, you see flashes out of their um, their rookie, Cortland Sutton, uh, another big receiver. But uh, I don't know what's wrong with their run game. Um, they're not getting much out of both of their rookies, whether it's Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman, but it's been okay. I mean, they've had a couple pleasant surprises, but overall... Nothing to write home about. At the same time, maybe the Rams. I mean, defensively, they're going through a couple things defending the run. I mean, mentioned earlier with, with the Seahawks. Their secondary is still banged up. Marcus Peters, he had a bad game last week against the Seahawks. He says he got, he's 100%. That, that's on him, that he should be ready to go moving forward. But Keep Talib is going to be out for a while. Um, there could be some opportunity from Denver, but at the same time, the play that I'm seeing out of Case Keenum doesn't give me that vote of confidence. I've seen time and time again this season where he's had, especially when he, he needed to, he's had opportunities to execute and make the big throw to get the touchdown. But for whatever reason, he just doesn't have that it factor um, to deliver the, the ball. And if push comes to shove, I just um, I don't see much of a, an identity out of this Denver offense they're they're good in some parts both in the run game and the passing game but if they don't do anything particularly well I don't know how they're going to go up um, head to head with the Rams so Rams seven and a half point favorites over under 52 go ahead and give me the Rams at 31 Broncos 21 so actually uh, over under 52 so they they pushed right at the, at the total. Rams 31, Broncos 21. They might make it close at first because the Broncos always seem to be in the mix. But come second half when they really need to make a play and push forward, they haven't been able to do that all season. And I think that trend does continue. Biggest matchup to watch would be left tackle Andrew Whitworth with the Rams versus the best pass rusher on the edge, Vaughn Miller. Uh, if Von Miller can do Von Miller things and get to Jerry Goff. Things might change, but uh, as of now, numbers don't lie. Uh, it's been pretty good for the Rams. So that is our Sunday for Week Six, which leads me to oof, a primetime game at Lambeau Field, and I was really excited for this game when I looked at the schedule going into it with. Quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. But that is no longer the case. The Niners are last at 1-4. and four. They're coming off a really, and I mentioned this earlier, a really, really disheartening game against the Cardinals at home. So what makes you believe that they're going to have a chance against the Packers at Lambeau Field? Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field. Monday night, primetime game. 
considering that last Monday Night Football, you saw Drew Brees pass the record of Peyton Manning for passing yards. And he's right there for, for uh, I forget the record, for passing touchdowns. But, yeah, you saw greatness last Monday Night Football. I think Aaron Rodgers is itching to remind the public that, uh, yeah, he's a pretty good quarterback in his own right, to say the least. And so, oh, interesting. So they're actually not the biggest point spread out of the NFC West. Uh, yeah, Green Bay, they're favored by 10.5 points over under 46. Might get up to 11.5 easily just because, yeah, it, uh, public perception. It's pretty low on the Niners right now. Matt Breida left the game last week with an ankle injury. It looked a lot more serious than uh, originally anticipated. Thank God it's not, their, it's not another ACL injury, but... Um, Things came out negative. It's not as bad of an injury that was originally perceived when he left the game. Um, I got a report earlier from Matt Barrows that, yeah, he was uh, walking without a limp. So he might play this game, but um, they might be a little bit more cautious as well. Just because, to be quite honest, this is a lost season. So they might, uh, yeah, they might just go with Alfred Morris and I expect to see a lot more of Kyle Juszczyk, a.k.a. Juice, their fullback who Niners head coach Kyle Shannon uses quite often as a receiver, as a running back, whatever. And so you might see a little bit more Juice in this game. Marquise Goodwin is slated to play as well. But to be honest, I'm not, well, I won't say I'm not completely worried, but I'm not as worried about the Niners offense as I am about their defense. They've showed actually, even with Bethard, that they can score points, they can run up the field, they can have a decent running game. They did that with the Chargers, they did that with the Cardinals, but uh, they got to fix their turnovers. I think that's... I got a weird stat from somewhere on Twitter, but you know, if, if you do have the chance, go ahead and check Google or whatever, but I'm not going to right now. But in seven starts for C.J. Beathard, he has 14 turnovers. That means he is averaging two turnovers per game, whether it's a fumble, whether it's an interception. And all his turnovers have been against the Blitz. He doesn't do that well against the Blitz. Going back to the defense, it's really, well, it's on the secondary. It's not necessarily the secondary's fault, but they're not getting that much pressure from the front seven. The edge positions, the edge has about two and a half sacks for the season. They just got one sack from Cassius March last week, which means going into last week, the edge was producing one and a half sacks as a team. DeForest Buckner has three and a half sacks in his own right. That is ranked dead last in the NFL. And if you can't get to the quarterback, and if you're playing cover three defense, in your nice, comfortable cover three defense. Quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, quarterbacks like Phillip Rivers, even quarterbacks like Josh Rosen, I mean, I'm referring to the 75-yard touchdown, yeah, they're going to eventually find a nice little pocket in your cover three zone because you're not getting to the quarterback. You're not giving him that much pressure. And they're going to find that open receiver eventually. And yeah, the secondary is going to look like shit. Richard Sherman has played very well. Uh, he came back last week from his calf injury. 
Uh, I think he's only allowed like one, two catches all season. But you know what? Aaron Rodgers doesn't even need to throw his way because, yeah, he's got Akella Witherspoon. He's got Greg Mabin. Uh, he's got other cornerbacks where he can target. So let's just go ahead and get to the ugly. Green Bay is favored by 10.5 points over under 46. Go ahead and yeah, I'm just, man, I'm just laying the points down all week, baby. I haven't taken any of these points. I've been laying it all down. Yeah, go ahead and give me the Packers 31. And give me the Niners. Uh, I'll give the Niners 17 points. And the reason why I say that is um, schematically, I think Kyle Shanahan is still right there with the best of them. Um, he'll keep them, you know, he'll, he'll, they'll get points, but, uh, you know, turnovers or defense, just execution is going to be the culprit for the Niners, especially on the road. Um, they might surprise just because it's a national game and, um, they, you know, they have some pride. They can't play any worse than they did last week, five turnovers, and so, yeah, give, give me 17 points for the Niners. So, Green Bay 31, Niners 17. We out here, guys. Week 6 is upon us. Week 5 is done deal. I look forward to talking more about these games when it's all said and done. Uh, for all those that continue to check out the podcast, thank you so much for your time. You can also find me Twitter, at JustTheWest, Instagram, at JustTheWest, and, of course, my blog. I'm going to put all my game day posts for these games as well www.justthewest.com So until next time We out here. Peace